The passage reads, starting in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was, was to be born. Herod didn't know he should have. All the scribes, any child in Israel would have known, quoting out of Micah chapter 5. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written. And they quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That was written 700 years prior to this time. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And let's go to Revelation 12. We're only going to read five verses, but I'll refer to more of the verses in the passage. But we're just going to read five verses, and then you can sit down and relax. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor, in pain, to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great and fiery red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Seriously intense. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would minister by your living word, that you would touch every heart and those who are within the hearing of my voice, that they would be ministered to this day. And so, Lord, we thank you for all you've gathered into this room, and that you would minister and touch and bless. According to your riches in Christ, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. What uh, what inspired me uh, through this week, and I didn't really have an idea of how it was going to translate into a message, but um, it was it was interesting to me this week. Um, we were preparing for the arrival of my wife's family, and we we're many of the family members were out putting up garlands and the like, and decorating the front of the house, preparing for their arrival. And all of a sudden, everybody looked up, and we all saw that. Anybody? It made it on the headlines of the Drudge Report. Uh, All of California was in, like, chaos. They thought that Kim Jong-un was launching a missile at America. Uh, Nobody had any idea what it was. Our first responders were inundated. 911 was inundated. Uh, Everybody was overwhelmed by this thought of what this is. And, and it, you know, as we know, it was the Falcon 9 from SpaceX being launched out of Vandenberg. (laughs) Now we know. Um, And they wanted to launch it at night so it could be you know, secret. Uh, (laughs) But of course, not calculating that the sun is rising in a different location and then it would illuminate the night sky and freak everybody out. My father-in-law who worked for Lockheed for I think over 30 years, he'd commented that when they were working on something, they had tried to launch it at night. The same thing happened. And obviously SpaceX didn't pay attention to what they had learned. 
And so all of California and the United States was frightened. And, it, and it's interesting because we look up at the night sky and we see something that is expansive and massive and, and goes on and on. And we can't quite figure out how to get to any of those locations. Uh, we've made it to the moon. Uh, we've, we've sent some devices out to our farther reaches of our solar system. But to go to another solar system or go to another galaxy is beyond our ability at this point. And and we look at when we see something different in the night sky, it causes consternation and fear and trepidation and worry and doubt. And, when, and the phone lines light up. And, and that when there's something different in the night sky, we're all affected by it. Well, not unlike Matthew chapter 2. Because in Matthew chapter 2, what's interesting to me is as we look at this passage of scripture, you have these magi that are coming from what would be the location of Iraq. It's a thousand mile journey that they're traveling. Some call them astrologers, but they're actually more astronomers than astrologers. And it's, it, their entire uh, society is, is driven towards understanding what the sky says and what the creator is trying to communicate. And they're guiding their life by looking at the stars and seeing something significant. And it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they're looking up and they're saying, this is a sign that, that the king of the Jews has been born. And they, they said to him, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And this is what the scribes and, and the scholars had determined out of Micah chapter five. Herod had no idea where he was to be born. And Herod was livid because somebody was contending for his authority. And actually the Magi came, they were called wise men. The Magi came to Jerusalem thinking, well, if, if a king's going to be born king of the Jews, it's going to be in the capital and it's probably going to be Herod's child. So they went directly to Herod and people say, well, there were three wise men. The reality is there weren't three. We, we say three traditionally because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the reality is there was probably a contingent of 300 people. They had a military entourage joining them because they were carrying valuables with them. And they traveled a great distance in this caravan and they came to Jerusalem thinking, well, this, this is obviously where the king's child would be because the king is, this is the capital of, of Israel, Jerusalem. And so they came there and Herod was baffled, like, I don't have any idea. And the reason why they call them wise men, and this is a biblical insight, one of the reasons why they call them wise men is because they're the only men in all of history who ever stopped to ask for direction. <laughs> yeah, that's funny right there. That's, I don't care who you are. That's funny. But they really did stop for direction in the sense that they didn't continue to follow the star to its location, or as we would come later to understand the comet, they stopped in Jerusalem to say, well, where is this king of the Jews? We're in the capital, and Herod has no clue. And then the, the scholars and the scribes say, well, according to Micah chapter 5, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And the scholars don't even want to travel a few miles to Bethlehem to see it. Herod doesn't even want to contend. He just says, let's just kill all the children of that age. I don't want anyone vying for my authority. So... Herod is in opposition, the scribes are apathetic, but it's the wise men and their entourage that travel a thousand miles and make the remainder of the journey to go find the Christ child. And they're guided um, by something similar to this. They're looking up at the night sky, they're seeing something that just doesn't make sense. And, and scholars have come up with countless theories as to what this could have been. And, and um, for years I had heard all kinds of theories and ideas and, and Matthew chapter two, the, the Matthew version almost makes it to be something miraculous that never occurred before. But there is an, ex, uh, an exhaustive work that was done by Colin Nickel, who has a PhD from Cambridge. And he is also a New Testament professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he wrote a book called The Great Christ, the Great Christ Comet. I read it a few years ago, and it's, it, it is 
copious in its scholarship, and it's just, it, it's a tough read, but it is fascinating. And I, I, I love this uh, synopsis that one person gives, and they say, how do we explain the star of Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2? It's purely miraculous. Did God orchestrate a natural event to occur just at the right time and to herald Jesus' birth? Is a narrative to be a myth? And uh, biblical scholars, mythologists, scientists alike have made suggestions over the centuries, but none has ever commanded a consensus. And now this book by Colin Nichol has come out, and it has turned the world upside down as far as his research. So much so that one of the greatest mathematicians in the world has uh, signed the back cover and has said that his calculations are accurate. And it is a fascinating book, to say the least. But one of the things that he comes up with is he says it's not a star, He says, it's a comet, and he goes through historical references and the like, and he goes into a great detail, and he actually uses Revelation chapter 12, which we just read, and it looks like a fascinating story written by somebody taking drugs, that that this is actually a depiction of a constellation occurring and a comet in the midst of this constellation that these magi calculated and started to realize this is a a birth um, of a king. And I I don't want to read the entire synopsis. You can do this on your own. But for the sake of time, I'll just read you this. The long, narrow eclipse could have resembled a scepter calling to the minds of Babylonian Jews the prophecies of Genesis 49.10, Numbers 24.17, already viewed as messianic, which they could have shared with the Magi. If a meteor storm appeared at the same time, it could look as if it were emanating from Hydra's tail, explain the casting of a third of the stars out of heaven, even one part of the a story in Matthew that has seemed to most require a miracle can be explained when very narrow comets descend toward the horizon. They can appear to be pointing directly at one location on the surface of the earth like a building. So this comet could have appeared to focus directly on the house in which the Holy Family resided. Nickel also shows how his theory could fit the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 7 through 11, the New Testament references to Christ as a light and the latter testimony to the star in uh, James. And, and this author says, I'm not competent to evaluate the astronomical calculations on which Nichols' study is based, though he lays out his evidence in detail. But when John Lennox, one of the world's great mathematicians, endorses it on the back cover, I trust that Nichols has done his homework. And so this great Christ comet picture is simply an understanding of what the Magi knew. And so they arrive following this comet. As you can see, it's pointing to a location as it would appear. And, and another picture that you've often seen on Christmas cards is uh, the three wise men. And, and of course, that's playing into the myth. And some of you are going, well, where are the rest of the 300, 297 that you spoke of? They're just behind them. They're coming shortly. <laughs> but it is... It is it's hovering over this location, and, and yet in Matthew chapter 2, speaking of the Magi, and then going into Revelation chapter 12 and speaking of this constellation approach, it's a fascinating picture because we're going to see in the constellation itself many unique features, and one being the dragon that we find out in verse 9 is Satan himself. We see the woman in pain and labor, that's Mary, and then the child himself who carries the scepter and this authority, the shepherd of the world who will be king of the earth is Christ himself, depicted in this constellation picture of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, uh, Revelation itself was written by the apostle John. He was the last living apostle. Uh, They tried to kill him, and there was wholesale persecution by the Roman government of of Christians. And and John has been exiled to the island of Patmos, which is off the, the nation of Turkey. 
They tried to boil him alive, but he survived. And here he is dying of old age in, on the island of Patmos. And he's getting word that friend after friend is being massacred or martyred uh, as this wholesale persecution of Christians is taking place by the Roman government. And he just simply asked God for a sign because he's so discouraged. And uh, this is where the angel appears to him, this revelation of what he's writing down, this book of Revelation, which is fascinating. And he comes to this, and, and it revisits the picture that had occurred 80 years earlier when John was young, and, and it had been retold to him, and he had also seen the comet itself and started to understand these concepts. And as I look at these two passages of Scripture, I come to a place where I'm thinking, what is the Christmas message for us on this Christmas Eve of 2017? I'd read a survey, and I, I, I liked it. It was interesting. It says 90% of Americans say Christmas is their favorite holiday, but only 20% enjoy Christmas shopping. I am so in agreement with that <laughs> statement. I do love Christmas in some regards, but I hate Christmas shopping. It's, it's the bane of Christmas. I, I, I am so grateful for Costco. <laughs> I don't have to leave my house, press a button, they deliver it. Bless my daughter's heart. I, I, she said, went to a sale, and I gave her some money. I said, get something for everybody, and she did. <laughs> when I was young, my idea of Christmas shopping, I was the youngest of four kids. I, I'd wait to the very last minute, and I'd have whatever money I had as a kid. I'd go out to the cheapest store, buy a basket full of junk. I'd lay it out on the floor, wrap it with whatever I could find, tape, put it under the tree, and I could never understand why my siblings didn't appreciate what I'd purchased them. But I've gotten better at Christmas shopping. I just have Michelle do it. So, <laughs> this year I said to my kids, "I I, I want you." To, they said, "Dad, what do you want to, me? What do you want us to get you?" And I said, "Get me something that the whole family could enjoy." So they got me a new wallet. <laughs> uh, he's on a roll. He really is. As I said earlier, these were wise men, and they, they were wise, many say, because obviously they were the only men in the history of the world to stop and ask for direction. But they did come to Herod, and they said, you know, we're expecting you to know where this king of the Jews is to be born because you are currently the king of the Jews. And they were trained in astronomy, they were trained in astrology, and they had connected this idea of astronomy being the study of the stars, astrology, thinking there's a deeper meaning to it. And it was this idea of a people's search for meaning in God and, and looking at the expanse of the universe that we look up and there's, it, it's expansive and it's beyond our comprehension that we traveling at the speed of light just to get to the next galaxy is, is beyond our ability to even comprehend. And we, we can look at you know, Star Trek and transport and all this other stuff and maybe in time we'll have the ability to you know, go into and whatever that is and uh, transport ourselves. And, you know, it's great to dream. And, but the reality, we're not there yet. And, and to travel at the speed of light and to get to this and, and saying that, you know, the, the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. And if the thickness of this paper were to equal the distance between us and the sun, if we're just to get to the end of our solar system, you'd have to stack paper, you know, what, three feet high. And you get to the extent of the Milky Way galaxy. It's, you know miles high and then you get to the expanse of the universe itself as what we know and it's just you can't even comprehend the distance and yet the scriptures say God holds that in the span of his hand and here's this God of the universe that man looks up doesn't see can't comprehend and yet is looking for a meaning in life and I, and I think at Christmas especially when we gather here there are a number of folks who are saying I don't really buy the whole Christian thing I came with my family it's a feel good I want to sing some Christmas songs find a connection I get that I get that 
And Christmas time can be pretty tough. Um, last night I was uh, at the Los Robles emergency room. A member of our congregation, their spouse, uh, was in a coma. Blood pressure was terribly low, and, um, and, and this congregant is just a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. And I, I know the backstory. I know the heartache. And this, this person is, loves the Lord with all, their, with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And uh, the, their child was there and watching their parents struggling and suffering and holding on and knowing the backstory and seeing the anger and associated with it. And, and I know all that. And it was, it was one of those moments as a minister where you, you walk away from hearth and home and family that's arriving to travel to step into somebody's heartache and pain. And I, I got to the emergency room and it was awful. It was packed full of people, and one man was so sick, endlessly vomiting in, in the waiting room. And I was thinking, There's got, there, there just can't be anything left in that man. His insides wanted to be on his outsides. And he was smiling after every bout, just, <laughs> mm, I don't remember having eaten that. I just... And people trying to make the best of it, and yet here I'm with my friend and, and his child, and hearing the heartache and the pain. And another friend was present from the congregation, and the two of us prayed for our friend and, and, and asking God to give me wisdom. And quite honestly, it's one of those moments in life where you, you wonder if, if you're making any difference at all. You can't fathom the, the conflict and the struggle, and you almost look at it and you say, God, I, I, I am very confused right now. This is, this is a good person, and what is happening to them is calculated evil and darkness and you're allowing them to suffer. And I, I have some issue right now, Lord. And, and I said the prayers that a pastor says. I, I hugged as a pastor hugs and comforted as best I could. I'm a man with feet of clay and, and I, I go through struggles. And I thought, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And I couldn't get in the side door, so I had to go through the front door of the hospital to go to the coffee cart. I didn't want coffee. I just needed to be with the Lord. I walk through the front door, and as I go in, I hear, Pastor McCoy, Rob. I turn. And I had actually just said, Lord, you know, I was saying, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. I don't know what to do here. And I hear, Pastor McCoy, Rob. And I turn over. And I don't know if you know this man. I do. Many of you do. His name's Nick Vojacic. He just had twin girls, and he's there waiting for a pizza to be delivered so he could take it to his wife. Now, for those of you who don't know Nick, he has no arms and no legs. He was born that way. You want to, you want to talk about being dealt a tough hand in life? He didn't get any hands. He didn't get any feet. And there he is. He, he does have kind of the resemblance of a foot, and two toes, and he's typing on his phone, and he said, I'm calling to see if the pizza's rough. Can you put that on my shoulder? I put it up there, and he holds it like that to talk. Oh, you're here. He, oh, she's here. He, goes, and he drops it down, holds it with his foot. I'm like, dude, you're gifted. <laughs> and I go, and I guess, you know, can I take this up with you? And then we went out, and I didn't want to disturb his wife. She was resting. We left the pizza, came back down. He says, you doing all right? You look troubled. And I, and I shared with him. And I told him the backstory, and I shared everything with him. He said, you know what? Hey, welcome. <laughs> and... Uh, and I shared with him the backstory, and I, I told him, and he said, you know what? Let me go pray with your friend. 
And he said, I said, I'll go out there. And he said, I'll come out and meet you. And I went out, and sure enough, he, he comes rolling up. And, you know, he has no hand to extend. And he says to my friend, let me give you a hug. Well, that means come and hug me, you know. <laughs> and he leans in there, and he hugs him. He says, let me, let me pray for you. Nick's prayer was so precious. It couldn't have been more timely. Couldn't have put things into perspective more than what he did there. And, and the, 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 the daughter of my friend uh, was in visiting with their parent. And, uh, and Nick said, let me leave him, film me, and I want to leave a message for her. And he does, and it was so sweet. And all of a sudden, I watched my friend's countenance change. And, and realigned, got his direction back. And his heart settled. And he said, I'm good. You're going home now and be with your family. I'll, I'll keep you posted. And sure enough, my friend's spouse's blood pressure got back to normal or out of the coma. God is doing an amazing work. I'm praying for them. And as I was driving home, I thought, you know, Lord, I, I tried to give him direction, but I'm so grateful Nick was there to realign his vision. Here's a man that, you know, you think things are bad and then Nick shows up. You go, I don't got it tough. And everyone was coming up to Nick and he was taking time to speak with every single one of them. I came to just, I'd loved him before, but I so appreciated him even more. And I think we all in in time come to a place where we're questioning life and we're struggling and and you, you get hit. And Christmas is a good time to get hit. This has been a rough year. It's been a rough year. And even the nation itself has gone through quite a, a struggle. Yeah. And as, as we're looking at the warp and the woof of our fabric of the nation and our lives and the chaos and the struggles and trying to come to terms with things and Many believe America's in a postmodern age where folks just have kind of given up on God. And, but we're still left with the questions of who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And it's amazing that we look up at night. And it's the one place we can look up to after we take our eyes off this stupid device, smartphone. It makes us all dumber. What's your, I, seriously, as a kid, I, I, he said, can I have a picture with Nick? I took a picture with him and Nick. I go, I'll text it to you. What's your number? He goes, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I just usually press the I don't know. I'm like, what? smart, you know, hey. Unless it's already finally remembered after four tries. I don't know who I sent the picture to, but. <laughs> these kings, or these magi were kingmakers. And, and they were not kings themselves, but they traveled a thousand miles across the desert. And they came to see a baby king. And they had direction and they had guidance and they were looking up and God was giving them direction and they followed this direction. They didn't know the king's name. They just came to the capital of Jerusalem thinking that the king would be there and expecting Herod to know who this king was. Herod was unaware and this great surprise affected them. Herod's response was, I'm going to kill him. The scribes and the educated knew where he was to be born, but had apathy, didn't want to travel a few miles to go and see him. But these 
Magi came to worship him. And I think that that depicts mankind today that you're either angry at God and you want to remove any vestige of him from your life and you have embraced an ideology that dismisses him from every vestige and you are warring against the idea of him. Or you're just kind of apathetic. You know, I'll go to church, but I'm, I'm not really into it. I, I don't contemplate the deeper meanings of life. I'm busy. And we're going through life, and it's moments where you settle and you calm down. I'll tell you what, that emergency room is a place where people contemplate, why am I here? What's going on? And those are times you need to look up, and you, you're grateful for when someone comes like Nick to give you direction. But others of us have really come to understand that Christmas is a time to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God always speaks loud enough for the willing ear to hear. And some folks in the room, I get it. I sat where you sat. You're not interested, but you're kind to attend with family and to pay attention. And I'm grateful for that. I know what you're feeling and I know what you're going through. I've been there. Verse 9 of of uh, the passage says, the star went on before them until it came and stood over the very home where the baby Jesus lay. You know, it wasn't easy for these magi to find Jesus, but they did. And you know what? You can find him if you're looking for him. If you didn't really come to look for him and you're not really interested, but you're trying to appease family, I get it, but I still think you're gonna be able to find him this morning. The star served as a travel guide for this group of Christmas seekers. And just like the event we saw the other night, it caused us to look up. And I pray Christmas does the same for you. It was a a gift from God that directed us and gave us direction to point us to the King of Christmas, the Lord himself. I love this. One author says, those who search diligently for Christ will eventually find him. As Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, you will be found by me. And this is true. But the part that hits me in this story that I want to share with you and we'll conclude shortly is that Herod Herod had a brutal attempt to try to kill all try to kill Jesus and he killed all the children Jesus's age and by the way for those of you who've seen the manger scenes and you have the Christ child and you have Mary and Joseph and then you see the three wise men the three wise men didn't come until Jesus was about six years of age I mean if you want to do a real manger scene put Mary, Joseph, and the baby there, and the animals, and then take the wise men and put them way over there, about a thousand miles away, and they're going to be traveling to get there, and that would take a large neighborhood to be able to pull that off, (laughs) or a large house, for that matter, but but the point is, they came because he had been born, and they saw this, this picture of this and if you're into astronomy or astrology and you follow these and you track it and you see Virgo and then you see you know, all these different aspects speaking this and contemplating it and reading into it, they're saying something significant has happened and, and, and it's described as we'll see shortly in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, I want to read to you again. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. On her head were a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So for us, we, we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Yeah. Well, that's our picture. That's our view. That's our vision of the Christmas scene. But heaven's vision is wholly different. 
this is awful. This woman's in pain and she's, she's laboring to give birth. And then verse three, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon having seven heads, 10 horns, seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. A third of the angels are taken down. These are con- concept of the idea of demons and that Satan is the author of lies and he's a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. And there's this, there's this battle between good and evil, right and wrong. And for those who say, well, I'm only in a physical world. I don't believe in the metaphysical. That's fine, but don't ever call me evil or don't call me good because you can't use those terms or metaphysical terms. And we come to concepts like love. Well, in a physical world, you can't deal with the concept of love. You've got to dismiss that. Where does good come from? And how do you how, how do you come with the definition of good? And here we have this very clearly defined that there is good and there's evil and it's contending and it's warring. Warring in society and the removal of God and Herod wants him dead and most of the people are apathetic, but these come to worship him. And there's a battle raging and they've gathered and they've come and it's a silent night and from the world's vantage point, Christmas is quiet and no crying he makes, but in heaven it is war. And this fiery red dragon having seven heads and diadems on his head, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness and they went to Egypt as we know. And she was, has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. And then it goes on further. It says, The great dragon, verse 9, was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he, cast, uh, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. The dragon saw that he'd been cast to earth and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. It goes through this whole picture and we follow that in the story. And John is seeing this. There's war. It's insane. It's intense. The outbreak of praise that occurs in the passage of Scripture that we see in Revelation 12, and that God's kingdom is God's government, God's rule over his creation, that has been marred by sin and evil since the fall of the human race in Genesis. God's salvation is deliverance from the sin in our lives, it's restoration with God and reconciliation with our Creator. But you don't need reconciliation with the Creator if you don't believe in a Creator. You just dismiss that. You're apathetic. I'm glad it works for you. I'm glad that's good for you. But there is a cosmic battle between good and evil. You can dismiss it. You can whistle by the graveyard. You can do these things. But the reality is when it all slows down or you get hit and your world is rocked and you're in an emergency room, you're going to look up and you're going to look for answers. And here in this, it says that there's an answer and there's a picture that this child was born and that he was born to battle and he destroyed evil and all that's taking place is a, a mop-up campaign. He's a toothless lion, this, this Satan. He still can rattle our cages a bit. He accuses us of our failure. And the scripture says that those who receive God's salvation are able to overcome these hateful accusations through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, and by the unflinching allegiance towards following Christ no matter what. 
The vision is designed to help us on the earth in the meantime endure in our faith, even in the face of evil, suffering, and death, as my friend did. I'll tell you what, it, it, it doesn't take a lot to rock our world and cause us to be shaken to our foundation and then a armless, legless man rolls up and gives you directions. All by words and prayer that your world is resituated and strengthened. The words Christmas and war don't seem to go together, but they do. I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, this is not the nativity story we grew up with. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. When you declare that there's a God and we're accountable to him, that doesn't make people happy. Some people get angry. The shepherds looked up in wordless wonder, gazing at Jesus, and we picture animals silent, milling about the stable, and no crying he makes, as I said earlier, but in the unseen world, all hell breaks loose. In Revelation 12, all hell breaks loose as God finally seeks to wrestle back creation from the power of evil and come to set man free, that we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Listen, evil is clearly in our world. It was evil that caused an airplane to fly into the World Trade Towers. It's evil that inspires people to kill others and send their children to explode. It's evil that causes somebody to shoot over 50 people dead in Las Vegas, many of our city's citizens. It makes me angry. And those folks who've lost their loved ones, they need to look up and find direction in a world that doesn't make sense. God's assault on evil was to bring his son into the world in a remarkable way, and this assault would ultimately be the defeat of Satan and the works of evil. This is what happens in Revelation 12. It's a war for the hearts and minds and souls of men and women. Jesus has been the rightful king from his very birth, the rightful ruler of the creator of the entire earth. Though we still suffer and see evil active in our world, these are merely desperate convulsions of a defeated enemy. My friend, when he heard Nick pray for him, got his vision back. You know, you can be reviled and they can say all kinds of evil against you. I've been there. I'm there now. It's been such a pleasant week. But truly, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I'm not intimidated by evil. And really, what can evil do? The only weapon evil has is fear. Try to intimidate, bully you. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. There's no weapon fashioned against me that will stand. I mean, even if you give me a death threat, which I've received, you're threatening me with heaven. We overcome evil, not by striking back with evil ourselves, but by trusting in the power of Christ to finish what he started. We overcome through Christ's death, the blood of the lamb and our faithfulness to follow Jesus, even in the face of evil. We're here to do good, to clean up the mess and to minister to mankind. I leave you with this thought, through heaven's eyes, Christmas means war has been declared, 
The world's ruler has come and an invitation has been offered and evil has been overcome. I share that with you because as I prepare to show you a couple of slides that remain, this has been a rough year. Our nation's in turmoil. Now granted, we're excited about more money in our tax return or businesses seeming to operate and others are upset that regulations have been removed and everybody's divided. We're all struggling. And, and we think government's the answer and we're fighting for that and we're contending with each other and it's dividing families and the last thing you want to talk about at the Christmas table is politics, I get it. I, I have a terrible life. People say you're not allowed to talk about religion or politics. That's all I do. <laughs> So don't invite me for dinner. (laughs) But in in this season in which we live, looking at the fabric of our nation, being frayed and troubled. You know, I, I love this Christmas card that I've received, and it was one of the first ones I received when I was a brand new Christian, that wise men still seek him. And and you know what? I think all of us regardless of our political affiliations or our apathy or anything, the reality is we're lost. We need direction. And God has given you a sign. He's given you direction. And it's very clear. He's given us the Christ child. But we're left at a place where we're either going to realize we're breathing his air, drinking his water, living on his dirt, we're going to live by his rules, or we're going to dismiss him and be like Herod. And we're going to remove every vestige of this idea of God from all of culture and all of society. And we've seen how that works. People say, well, Christianity is responsible for all kinds of atrocities. And I tell them, what atrocities? Well, the Inquisition and the the, the Salem witch trials. How many people died in the Salem witch trials? I don't know, but, but, but Christianity is responsible. I said, less than 30. And it was stopped by Christian pastors. Yeah, the Inquisition was horrible. The church should never have the sword. I'm in agreement with you. And guess what? They were also killing Protestants. So relax, I'm part of it. I said, but what is the death toll of communism? Billions. Billions. And yet we somehow think that the removal of God is the answer for mankind. And we're all lost. And there's a war for for the identity and the soul of man that God wants us to get our direction reassessed and realigned. I want to take you back to one of the most trying times in American history. And to build this, I want to show you something. In the 50s, America was a church-going culture. Our, our vocabulary, vernacular, was inundated with Christian ideas. Everyone could name the four authors of the first four Gospels. They had, a, they had a working knowledge of the Bible. It was taught in schools. Kids prayed in school. We had a respect for the things of God. And all of a sudden, folks like Madeline Murray O'Hare come along, and they remove prayer from schools, and they start to sue, and... They, they put forward that hadn't even been the case since 1947, the concept of a separation of church and state. It was never in our vernacular. First 10 years of the congressional record, never anything. None of our founding documents declare it. None of them. But in 1947, they, 
they did the establishment clause and reversed it and said it's to keep the church out of the state. The whole idea was to keep the state out of the church. That's the reason for the First Amendment. And all of a sudden we remove God and we're going forward with this idea of progressive mindset that we don't need God, we can do this. And you do your little church thing and there was a premier in Russia, his name was Nikita Khrushchev. He'd actually been raised by a Christian mother, Baptist, and he grew up winning all kinds of awards by the memorization of scripture. And when he came to the highest position in the Soviet Union in Russia, he began a wholesale persecution of the church. You can read this in history. He just annihilated church after church. And he wanted to remove any concept of God from the face of the earth. And, and, and they had started to excel in the space race and they were dominating America and we were so far behind and we're watching as they send the first animal into space and they send all these things into space and then the very first man into space was Yuri Gagarin and he goes up in 1961 and, and, it, and he's up there for 120 minutes up in space, and it's unheard of, and everyone is ashamed in America, and we're watching America struggle. And, and here, here is what was said by Nikita Khrushchev. They attributed it to Yuri Gagarin, but it was actually Nikita Khrushchev who said it. He said, why didn't you step on the brakes in front of God? Here is Gagarin who flew up to space, and yet even he didn't see God anywhere. Now, Yuri Gagarin was a, a devout Russian Orthodox who did love God, and he actually died young in an accident, but Nikita Khrushchev, was, he, he was vehemently opposed to anything pertaining to God and wanted to remove this concept from that which he oversaw. He wanted to destroy any vestige of religion. Nikita Khrushchev was the one who was pounding his shoe on the table saying, we will, we will bury you. And he, he said this in 1959, your children's children, speaking to Americans, your children's children will live under communism. You Americans are so gullible. <laughs> No, you won't accept communism outright, but we'll keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you will finally wake up and find that you already have communism. We won't have to fight you. We'll so weaken your economy until you fall like overripe fruit into our hands. And he was successful. He actually was very successful. Uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare, the one who was used with her older son to remove prayer from school, she had actually sought to, to emigrate to Soviet Union. They didn't want her either, but she tried. <laughs> And she was successful, and she even sued all the way up to the Supreme Court, and she was just, and she had a horrible death. She was murdered, and her, her son was murdered, her granddaughter was murdered. I don't even want to go through the details on Christmas Eve, and it was, it was terrible. Her older son that she used to win this case to remove prayer from schools, her older son ended up becoming a Christian and committed his life to the Lord. He's alive today. He's an amazing guy, and he said, he said, you know, I, I have a burden that I carry as a result of my mother and what I've been responsible for in the warp and the woof of the fabric of our country. And, and she said when she found that he'd become a Christian, she said, I wish there was postnatal abortion because I, I would get rid of you. And they asked him, how does that make you feel? And he said, growing up, she would always say that to us. When we ever didn't live up to our expectations, she said, I wish abortion was legal when, you were young, when I was pregnant with you. He said, we were never affirmed. It was a very dark household. And this is a woman that changed the fabric of our nation who had just mindset to remove God from every nook and cranny. And she was successful until it culminated in 1968. And you think we're in a tough time right now. I want to share with you 1968. It was one of the most trying times in American history. It started in January 30th of 1968, the Tet Offensive, where we had a police action with Lyndon Johnson. And the, the Tet Offensive happened on the Vietnamese uh, New Year. 
And the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese invaded South, uh, South Vietnam and pushed everyone back to Saigon and started to uh, annihilate South Vietnamese. Americans realized this is not a police action. This is a war. We're losing our sons and daughters. We don't want any part of this. Riots began in every city and every campus. We had the Kent State Massacre. Every campus was rioting. The warp and the woof of the fabric of the country was falling apart. And it was awful. And what had occurred prior to that is John Kennedy had been assassinated, shot. Uh, he was killed. Everyone was disillusioned. Here was a man that had a dream, Camelot. And all of a sudden, America is so burdened and, and is so disillusioned with the establishment. And, and so his, his brother carries on this and he, he runs. Lyndon Johnson steps down because of the escalation of the Vietnam War. They don't like him. So Robert Kennedy runs wanting to end the war. Robert Kennedy is going to win the Democratic nomination. Martin Luther King Jr. is fighting for civil rights in 1968 to, to bring equality to Americans. We're dealing with all of the hatred and the, device, the division in our country. And in the midst of all of this and the turmoil, Martin Luther King Jr. is shot in Memphis in 1968. Cities begin to burn. This is Baltimore. Riots break out. The Civil Rights Act is passed in 1968, divides the country. We have rebellion in the South in relation to it. Robert Kennedy is trying to heal the wounds of the nation, and then he is assassinated. So disillusioned are Americans that attendance in church begins to drop like a stone. And America is devastated and overwhelmed, and we're disillusioned, and we're hurting. And the fabric of our country is falling apart. Nixon's elected for the first time as president in 68. We know how that ended. And what happens is when Robert Kennedy's shot, Her Hubert Humphrey is running for the office as well as George McGovern. George McGovern wants to end the, the Vietnam War. Hubert Humphrey wants to follow in Lyndon Johnson's footsteps. The Democratic National Convention becomes a hotbed of contention. Hubert Humphrey wins. Chicago burns. People are rioting in the streets. Nixon ends up beating Hubert Humphrey. America is just struggling. All of a sudden we get pictures of our young dying. We hear about the My Lai massacre of our own soldiers killing um, Vietnamese villagers and, and what would be considered wholesale slaughter. And you can disagree, but this is what hit the country. America is devastated. And then we get to Christmas of 1968. Christmas of 1968, Nikita Khrushchev has already gone into space and everyone has, you know, spoken that God wasn't there. And some scholars said, well, if he had stepped out of the capsule, he would have met God. <laughs> but in 1968, before John Kennedy had died, he had said, I want to send a man to the moon. And they wanted to reinstill American exceptionalism and send somebody to the moon and tirelessly working where our engineers and folks with what was left of the moral fabric of our country going to work, diligently seeking and working and operating. And we started to gain as, as the Soviet Union was breaking every barrier, we started to gain on them. And one of the things that we were prepared to do is for the very first time in world history, we we're going to have a capsule orbit the moon, which had never been done before. And the orbit of this capsule would secure a location for a lunar lander to land in a certain area of the moon, and that would be Neil Armstrong later down the road. And so what they did in Christmas of 1968 is they had the Apollo 8, which was three uh, astronauts by the name of Borman, Lovell, and Anders, and they were to go around the orbit of the moon and the first, peop first people on the face of the earth in the history of the world to orbit the moon. 
Here are these three astronauts. I believe all three are living today. And Lovell would end up being an Apollo 13, the one that you see the story that they almost died. And it was Lovell who came up with a computer programming to able to fix the trajectory of the uh, modular because in Apollo 8, he had uh, erased all of the uh, pre-loaded directions. And he realized he had done that. And he had to type them in quickly to get it back on his trajectory. And because he had made that mistake, he was prepared for Apollo 13 to save them. God even uses our mistakes. And so these three men were to orbit the moon. This was their plan. It was Apollo 8 lunar orbital plan and profile. And you can see this. And what had occurred is when they started to orbit the moon, they sent back for the very first time in history what was called Earthrise. You'd heard of the sunrise, right? And the moonrise. This was the Earthrise. No one had ever seen this. This picture had never been seen by any human being ever in the history of the world. And it was called the Earthrise, and there's the big blue marble taken by one of the astronauts. I think it was Lovell himself. And they did this on Christmas Eve, 1968. And in 1968, when the country was falling apart, and this idea of a godless concept, and we were battling for the ideologies and the souls of men, and man is lost, and, and the Soviet Union sends a man into space and say, God isn't there these three men from America go up into space. They take this Earthrise picture. They see the turmoil down below and they see the unraveling of America. And for the first time in the history of the world, they do a broadcast on December 24th, 1968, and a billion people tuned in. Twice as many that had ever tuned in to anything ever in the history of the world. A billion people were listening. And as a billion people for the first time saw the Earthrise, these three men address the world. And this was Christmas Eve, 1968. I want to lower the lights and I want you to hear it as a billion people heard it on Christmas Eve, 1968.
time to look up. Christmas is a celebration of victory. Look up. If you seek him, you'll find him if you seek him with all your heart. Christmas declares that the war is raged and God is won. You can either seek to be in opposition to the Lord as Herod was. You can be apathetic like the scribes. Or you can travel a great distance to the expanse of the universe for the sole purpose of declaring his glory as these astronauts did. No man had ever traveled further than these three men and they went to glorify the Lord. Madeline Murray O'Hare sued them and she lost and went all the way to the Supreme Court. But she lost. And none of those men regret what they did. And we're contending for the truth that all men are created equal. Christmas is a celebration of victory. God has overcome sin and death and has given you and me a roadmap to embrace this victorious life. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The Magi did it. The astronauts did it. They all knew why they were here and where they were going. And for all of us who are lost, let's look up. And this will be the most merry Christmas you've ever had. May God bless you. And we're going to close with two songs to praise him. You ready? I'm going to invite Pastor John to come up. The first song's kind of mellow, but I'm good with that. And I want us to just rest and contemplate the Lord and allow him to minister to your heart because this is really a special, special blessing that God's given us. We're lost, and he's given us a roadmap, and it's time to look up. So let's do that first by standing up. Amen? All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless you.